This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Is the Supreme Court really supreme? Today, the Return to Order Moment turns towards the Supreme Court. The death of Justice Ginsburg coming as it did so close to the presidential election brought the court into the spotlight. We start with an article that examines the philosophy of the members of the court in Mr. John Horvath's article, Why Do Supreme Court Nominees and Justices Reject Natural Law? In his book about natural law, Professor Jay Budzizewski explains how this fundamental law is written on the hearts of everyone without exception. Indeed, natural law is so evident that he claims it is, quote, what you can't not know, unquote. Hence the title of his book. Everyone, at all times and places, knows that lying, stealing, and killing are evil. The Ten Commandments succinctly sum up the natural law, making it easy for Christians to remember. From these basic tenets come more elaborate legal systems and applications. Dr. Budzizewski explains how this set of moral truths, called natural law, is, quote, a universal possession, an emblem of rational mind, an heirloom of the family of man, unquote. Thus, no one has an excuse for not knowing what it is. No nation has an excuse for not being governed by its general tenets. It is the higher law upon which all law is based. This universal knowledge applies to everyone. However, one human category seems exempt from knowing about this moral treasure and the obligation to obey it. Supreme Court Justices it seems they must officially not know natural law. All the current justices claim not to orient their decisions according to its precepts. Court nominees dare not mention the term, lest it dashes their hopes of confirmation. The modern law establishment hates natural law because it highlights a moral perspective. It has long sought to expel it from the judicial system. Everyone even Supreme Court justices must find some way to reject that which you can't not know. Such an attitude is something to be expected from the liberal side of the Supreme Court. These justices belong to a historical school of law that believes that the law evolves. Theirs is a living constitution that adapts to the latest cultural fancies. They believe that their job is to sprinkle stale law with fresh interpretations, legislating from the bench to update the law to changing morals. From such jurisprudence, creative justices easily find things in the Constitution's quote-unquote penumbra that were never there. Others take a positivist vision of law, by which the state is the foundation of law. Positivism frees law from its metaphysical moorings and makes the state responsible for order, contracts, and legal agreements. The state changes law according to its practical needs without considering moral principles. And then there are the conservatives, who find a way around the awkward question of natural law, which is so hated by modernity. 
They adopt a quote-unquote constitutionalist approach to American law, based on a strict reading of the Constitution. Originalists and textualist judges interpret the law according to what they consider were the original intents of the framers and thus avoid messy moral questions. These conservative approaches to law do tend to conserve some tradition and morality. However, they are not anchored in an objective and higher moral law, but on fallible documents, opinions, and intentions. Speculation about the original legislators' intentions can also have disastrous consequences, as seen in the recent Bostock decision, in which originalist Justice Neil Gorsuch quote-unquote discovered homosexual and transgender equality in the word sex. Thus, conservatives constantly face the disappointment of putting in some justices who appear to be conservative, but later bow to the pressure and find creative, quote-unquote, originalist interpretations that are not in the Constitution. Without the foundation of natural law, law will always be arbitrary and unstable. Under such conservatives, those who uphold God's law will always face disillusionment. What makes the originalist reading of law so frustrating to natural law advocates is that the Constitution's framers and the founders were informed by natural law. The constitutionalist approach should channel natural law when interpreting cases through the prism of the founding documents. However, more often than not, their rulings become ill-advised detours around natural law that open the way for errors to sneak in through the back door. It is much better to go straight to the source where there is no danger of going astray. The evidence establishing a natural law source is compelling. American law's attachment to a natural law dates back before independence, as can be seen in the ultimate authority on both American and English common law, the renowned English jurist Sir William Blackstone, 1723 to 1780. His reference is clear, quote, This law of nature being coeval with mankind and dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding all over the globe, in all countries, and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force, and all their authority, mediately or immediately, from this original." Unquote. Earlier, Sir Edward Coke, 1552-1634, who strongly influenced American law, also recognized natural law as the foundation of all law. This strong view of natural law was widespread. The colonial lawyers that founded the nation were familiar with these ideas, circulated in those times before written constitutions or constitutionalists. Moreover, 
Americans tended to reject the latter deviations of natural law by Grotius and Pufendorf in favor of the more scholastic-minded Englishman Richard Hooker. This natural law outlook is infused into the Constitution. Law historian Harold Berman suggests that the judging of law, according to the Constitution, was merely a transportation for prior criteria of judging law according to the natural law. He writes that, quote, One may compare it with the theory that accompanies the law of the United States, under which any positive law must conform to the constitutional requirements of due process, equal protection, freedom, privacy, and the like, or lose its validity. Due process of law is, in fact, a 14th century English phrase meaning natural law. Thus, natural law theory is written into the positive law of the United States. Unquote. Robert Riley, in his book, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding, claims that those who wrote the Constitution and the Founders were inserted into a, quote, natural law tradition reaching back to Aquinas, Cicero, and Aristotle, unquote. He further asserts that, quote, the evidence is overwhelming that they expressed themselves in terms of this tradition and meant the same thing by it, unquote. Only later, in the 19th century, did modern schools of law depart from this tradition and embrace historical and positivist innovations. This trend favored the emerging liberal order. Social theoretician Wilhelm Schwer takes note of the generalized hostility to natural law among all schools. The innovators went so far as to see this cornerstone of Western law as, quote, imagined law, a weed that deserves to be eradicated, unquote. If justices really want to be originalists, then they will recognize that the original originalists who wrote the supreme law of the land were informed by a higher law tradition. They should not second-guess the framers' intentions, replacing them with straying speculation. Rather, they should go straight to the source. America needs to recognize that the constitutionalist workaround is flawed and will eventually lead to ruin. If America is to return to sound justice, Supreme Court nominees and the justices must embrace what you can't not know. Until then, there will be no order in the court. The second article that we feature today comes from July 2018. Justice Anthony Kennedy has just retired and was eventually replaced by Justice Kavanaugh. Although some of the references within the article are dated, the points that Mr. Horvat made at the time are still valid in the current situation. So we present three things America needs from the new Supreme Court justice. Justice Anthony Kennedy has just announced his retirement from the Supreme Court. Everyone is talking about who will be his replacement. Much is at stake. For the liberals, it could spell the end of the precarious situation in which Kennedy's swing vote has brought them many major victories and some small defeats. For the conservatives, his replacement could lock in a majority that would assure victories for many years to come. 
That is why the decision must be well made. Conservatives should not forget that it was Republican-nominated judges like Anthony Kennedy and Sandra Day O'Connor who facilitated the conservative defeat of major cases involving abortion and marriage. It was Justice Kennedy who wrote the infamous Lawrence v. Texas and the later Obergefell v. Hodges decisions, which led to the decriminalization of sodomy and the recognition of same-sex quote-unquote marriage. Thus, the first requirement in selecting the new Supreme Court justice is that the appointee cannot be another Justice Kennedy. He was the compromise candidate who was confirmed after candidate Robert Bork's nomination was shamelessly rejected. The Senate should not be afraid to select a new justice who is categorical and consistent. The new justice should not change positions or subscribe to strange notions of liberty not found in the Constitution. The errors of the past must not be repeated. Finding another Kennedy-like compromise candidate pleasing to all would be a calamity. The second requirement is that candidates must respect and return to the traditional notion of law. The person should reject the modern faddish aberrations which have entered the legal field. Thus, the new candidate cannot adhere to the idea that the Constitution is a quote-unquote living document, which changes with the times and the whims of the judges. The chosen justice cannot, quote-unquote, discover new rights which are contrary to those long established and found in nature. This person should not borrow from international law or judicial decisions which encroach on American sovereignty. The new candidate cannot be a judicial activist. This legislating from the bench has resorted in the court imposing its will on the American people and subverting the social order. Americans have suffered too long under this harsh regime. In addition, let the candidate defend America's long common law tradition, which respects the conscience of those who follow a higher moral law. The new justice should reject the hostility of the law toward the faith. Let there be no more belligerence toward God in the courts. If at least this is done, America can expect some respite from the frenzied pace of a culture gone awry. Many call for a strict constitutionalist to secure the future of law in America. However, such a requirement is not enough. For too long, the legal moorings of American society have been cut off from its tradition. Law is now treated as merely a creation of man, which facilitates the organization of society. It is a morally neutral convention, which is relative to whatever is determined to be law by fallible judges and legislatures. Law today reflects the present moral wasteland, in which there is no longer good or evil, truth or error. Thus, Law is now unanchored, and the courts are increasingly handing down justice where anything goes. America is entering into an era in which people can self-identify as anything they wish and demand corresponding rights and privileges. 
These people impose tyranny on society when courts validate into law the product of their unbalanced imaginations, to the point of insisting that even objectors be prosecuted. Indeed, it was Justice Kennedy himself who enshrined this chaotic notion of law. This is found in his notorious passage in Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey. Quote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Unquote. In a society where each person is a separate law, order becomes impossible. It is sheer anarchy. A return to constitutionalist theory would be welcome, but insufficient. Thus, there is a third and final requirement that must be demanded of the new Supreme Court justice. The candidate must re-anchor law in truth. Unless this is done, there is really no solution to the present crisis. All efforts will be in vain. For if law is interpreted to be the mere opinion of judges, conservative or liberal, there can be no stability. Any one option becomes no better or worse than any other. Law is reduced to regulation aiding individual self-interest. Justice is deprived of its universal principles, independent of human will. This is why the new Supreme Court justice must adhere to a higher law tradition. Higher law is often referred to as natural law, which is written by God on the heart of every person. It consists of an objective moral compass which makes social order possible. It is valid for all peoples, places, and times. Natural law can be perceived in society by unaided reason. It is conceived in the conviction that the source of all law, whether customary, common, or statutory, is God and His eternal law. It so conforms to human nature that University of Texas professor J. Budzizewski calls it a law, quote, you can't not know, unquote. Western law tradition used to hold that any law, whether enacted or customary, could only be valid if it conformed to natural law. American law's attachment to a higher law tradition precedes independence. Both the renowned English jurist Sir William Blackstone, 1723-1780, and Sir Edward Coke, 1552-1634, profoundly influenced American law and unequivocally defended higher law. According to legal scholar Harold Berman, this tradition continued as, quote, natural law theory is written into the positive law of the United States, unquote. What is needed now is not only revival of that constitutional order, but a return to the roots of that order which is found in natural law. Modern law went astray because it separated itself from this higher law tradition. Natural law has been discarded together with so many other certainties which once governed society and maintained order. That is why law will only be restored when it returns to higher law. In these postmodern times when nothing is certain, there must be an appeal to an authority higher than mere self-interest or popular caprice. 
There must be a firm foundation in order to interpret law on the basis of timeless principles, not evolving legal diktats. The disasters of Roe v. Wade and other decisions haunt the nation just as they destroy its moral fiber. Only a higher law can call the country back to order. Only a Supreme Court justice grounded in a higher law tradition will be able to not only interpret future laws, but restore law from past deviations. In the last part of this episode of Return to Order Moment, Mr. Horvat briefly considers the legacy of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He does this in his article, Justice Comes to All, Even to Supreme Court Justices. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died at the age of 87. Immediate tributes poured in from all over the world, praising this activist judge who contributed to so many important decisions that will affect America negatively for decades to come. Most enconiums praised her tenacity, talents, and abilities. They celebrated her academic and legal achievements as a woman. While these things might be considered important in life, they matter little in death. When all is said and done, we will be judged by our acts, our adherence to God's law, and our love for Him. We might hope that she said yes to a final saving grace. Nevertheless, we know that at death all souls stand before the divine judge. He exercises a justice far more supreme and severe than any earthly tribunal. At death, no evidence is left hidden. All our sins are revealed. We will know the consequences of our iniquities. Further, we will be held accountable for all whose lives and acts depended on us, rich or poor, young or old, born or unborn. God's eternal law will be the standard of justice by which we will be judged. This law is the basis of all human laws and is summarized by the Ten Commandments. Those who exercise justice on earth will be asked if they defended this higher natural law written by God on the hearts of all. They will have to render accounts for every evil thought, word, and deed that relied for legal justification on a bad decision that they handed down. At the time of death, we appear alone before God. Nothing can be added to improve our standing. There is no more time to seek forgiveness or make amends for the evil we have done then we will see what folly it is to think that we will not be judged for our sins. How foolish it is not to prepare for the moment of judgment. The divine judgment is infallible, the sentence eternal. His mercy is not forgotten. Those consigned to hell for eternity or to purgatory for a time are indeed punished less than their sins would deserve. Thus, the most important moment of our lives is the hour of our death. All other considerations are as nothing when this moment arrives. The demise of important public figures should lead us to reflect on the futility of seeking after the praise of the media and our sinful world. Indeed, without exception, we will all have to render accounts.
justice comes to all, even to Supreme Court judges. This concludes Is the Supreme Court Really Supreme? Thank you so much for listening. To read these or find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.